0: Amen. The Bible this morning. Turn to the book of John, chapter number ten. As you're turning, let me just uh, alert you to a couple things that you can keep uh, in your prayer list. First of all, pray for James Larson. James had his foot amputated and, and uh, has been doing incredibly well incredibly well from that. They were very concerned about uh, being able to uh, maintain or regulate the pain, but uh, God has so uh, worked in that, and so they've been very blessed. But just last night late, I received a a, a message from Jody that uh, they have been denied rehab, and so it looks like he's gonna have to go straight home, and she'll have to care for him there. And so it's just a concern. So would you would you keep them in prayers? I know that you they'd appreciate your prayers. And then I pray for uh, the book family, in particular, um, as um, Amber's grandpa, Neil passed away. He was in heaven, and as many of you know, Neil and, and he's uh, one of the sweetest, sweetest natured men, and uh, just, just, you talk to him, and he just, you'd light up, and, and love talking about the Lord, and as soon as he finished talking about the number one love of his life, he would go to his number two love of his life, and that was, he couldn't wait to see his wife in heaven, and, and they have been reunited. And so just remember to pray for them. We'll keep you posted as as far as any, any arrangements coming up here. But I just want to alert you to those things. And isn't it sweet to have a church family that we can bear one another's burdens? We're not in this alone. We need each other. John chapter 10. I'm going to read just three different verses in John chapter 10. The first one being John chapter 10 verse 9. This is Jesus speaking, and Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse number 11 Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep, for the sheep. Verse 14 Again, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and have known of mine. This morning we're going to look at this concept of Jesus being the good shepherd. He's the door, he's the good shepherd, and what does that mean, and how does it relate to us today? So I want us to pray now and ask God to meet with us in a very special way. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for a beautiful day in which to meet together, to serve you, for our spirits to be lifted as we've sung your praises, I pray, Lord, that you might now meet with us as we look into your word and give us a fresh view of you lord you told your disciples that you were the door you're the good shepherd and so help us to understand what that means and and how our lives can be touched by this um, these amazing truths and we'll give the glory for it the praise for it for we love you in jesus name amen if I were to tell you that there is one way to heaven, and that one way is through Jesus Christ, most of you would smile politely and yawn. Now, I'm exaggerating, but I mean that's old news. We know that. That's, that's kind of, well, duh, of course. There's only one way to heaven. We know that is through Jesus Christ. We know that, and we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. I trust that is your testimony. If not, it's available to you today. But as is the case with those truths that are familiar, that sly old devil has a way of taking that which is very familiar to us and sometimes, without us even realizing it, distorting it. Now we know that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, we know that, but what's that mean? We know He's the door, but what's that mean? And some more, this morning I'm going to just remind us of why we meet together in this church. Why aren't we at a different kind of church? Why did you pick this one? Now, I, I know that we have one of the sweetest church families in the world. I I know that, and perhaps that's why you're here. But my guess is most of you, if I were to interview you, I would find out that one of the reasons you're here is because you agree with the doctrine being preached and taught. Well, here's the premise. There is one correct way into what this this story we're going to read. is called the sheepfold. The place where the, the sheep gather together and they're protected, the, the fold, the, the sheepfold. And the one way to get into the sheepfold is through the gate. Now we're in John chapter 10. Let me take you back to the very beginning of verse number 1. It says, Verily, verily, Jesus says, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Well, in Jesus' day, it was very common for a shepherd, one who had sheep, to build a fold or a fenced area attached to his home. Now, quite frankly, I would not want that. Can you imagine sheep making their sounds all night long? Now, I'm sure, just like living in New York, I would not want to live in New York. Why? Because it's so loud. It's so noisy. But in talking to those from New York, they come out here and they go start craving, man, they're crazy. Why? Because it's so quiet. It's a quiet. I miss the sirens, they say, because we can sleep better with all the noise. Well, here's the deal. After so long a time, you would get used to the, the sounds of the, the sheep out there. And so, so it was common for them to have a, a fold or a, a, a gated area there outside attached to their home. Why? Well, that makes total sense because the shepherd would take in the morning, take his sheep out to pasture and find some water, and wherever that happened to be. In the evening time, he would bring them back. Well, wouldn't it make sense to have that place they're going to be kept? close to home so you have to walk so far so that was very common that was also common was from shepherds to try to find the best pasture for their flocks and so sometimes a, a shepherd would be uh, taking his sheep from this place to this place over this hill over that hill over this hill before you know it the day has gotten away so he would look for a place to fold his sheep in the, in the evening and so it was very common to go to and knock on the door and says would you mind if I put my sheep in your fold so now you have two flocks in the same gated area now I found that really interesting and it was common sometimes there are three or five different flocks in the same fold as shepherds are kind of migrating around trying to find the best uh, pasture well this would uh, this this would uh, present some interesting to me interesting problems because now, let's say, let's say the original flock was 25 sheep. Well, now you've got 75 to 100 sheep out there. Now, to me, sheep look like sheep. I mean, you've got one sheep. How do you tell the difference between one sheep and another sheep? Well, that's one of the things this story tells us. It enlightens us how these sheep can be identified. I thought that was very fascinating. Now, there's one way, however, into this sheepfold the wise shepherd made one way, and it was a locked gate. The only way into the sheepfold was through that locked gate, unless unless you have nefarious plans. If your plans are to steal the sheep, what the robber would do is he'd climb over the wall in the nighttime. And all I could figure, how, what would they do? Well, it would be kind of difficult, I would think, to carry carry these sheep as they're climbing back over this wall. What do they, throw them over? I'm not exactly sure how they did it. But they would climb over the wall, get the sheep, and then steal them. Now, wouldn't you imagine that causing somewhat of a ruckus? I would imagine, regardless, they're not going to get through the locked gate, so the only way is to try to steal them. So anybody coming in not through the gate is a robber or a thief. We're going to find out. Notice verse number three. To him the porter openeth. Well, to who? To the shepherd. The one rightfully owning those sheep. To him the porter or the servant openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Here's what I learned about sheep sheep know the voice of their shepherd. It's incredible. The sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. Why? Because they're together all day long, and the shepherd is talking to them and singing to them, and whether he's got a good voice or not doesn't matter because the sheep know his voice, and they enjoy being in his presence. So now you've got those 75 to 100 sheep in that fold. Only 25 of them are with that shepherd. In the morning, he takes and opens the door. He comes and says, okay, sheepy, sheepy. Okay, sheepy, follow me. And guess how many sheep follow him? 25. Not 26. Twenty five it's incredible it's phenomenal now i'm told that sheep are pretty dumb animals but one thing they recognize is the voice of their master they recognize their shepherd's voice which is incredible to me and that's what jesus is teaching here shepherds would oftentimes come and then the next shepherd would come and he would say okay sheep follow me shepherd number 2 his sheep would follow him leaving perhaps just what's left shepherd number 3 comes and he takes his sheep out so you got three shepherds all leading their sheep out wherever they go Why? All because they recognize the voice of their shepherd. Verse number four. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Did you notice it does not say the shepherd pushes them? It did not say the shepherd gets behind them and it forces them out. The shepherd gets in front of them and simply leads them. Okay, sheep, follow me and they follow. It's incredible. Now this is totally different than cattle. If you tell cattle to follow you, they'll just look at you and eat some more. <laughs> cattle have to be driven, they have to be pushed. So they get on their horses and they get behind them and they, 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 and they holler at them and they, and they kick the dust up and the horses go back and forth. and They're driving the cattle. You don't drive sheep. Sheep don't drive. They're not about to be driven. They're very stubborn, rebellious. And so you get behind uh, this, this flock of sheep, and you go pushing, they'll just look at you and peel off and go their own way. But now cattle, cattle can be driven. So notice the importance of the shepherd. The shepherd goes out front, and the shepherd leads them. No organization works well by being pushed. Organizations work well when they're led When a leader gets out front and shows them, leads them, compassionately leads them, that's what's being described here. Jesus, as a compassionate leader, out in front, leading them. Now, verse number five tells us, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This this shepherd comes, but he's not the right shepherd. And he says, Sheep, follow me. And instead of coming to him, the sheep run away. They go into the fold as far as they can because the sheep run from strangers they won't follow a stranger they can be real skittish they will immediately calm down when their shepherd says it's okay it's okay sheep it's all right and oh, oh, they just feel so much at home because the shepherd's back um, false teachers in, in, in Paul's day he spoke much about false teachers And I found this fascinating because Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, they recognize me. In Paul's day, there were many false teachers. And the sad thing was, many of the new converts were being drawn away by these false teachers. Some of them were called Judaizers, and these Judaizers were saved, or some saved Jews, some of them were unsaved, but they believed that in order for them to be right with God and to get saved, they had to, by faith, trust in Jesus and the, as the Messiah and add works like circumcision. They were not about to forsake all those things they had to do as a Jew to become a Jew. And so they included all those things. Here's how you're saved. Trust in Jesus as the Messiah and be circumcised and do this and do this. And then you can be saved. Well, Paul said that's heresy. That's heresy. The very reason Jesus went to the cross was to pay in full the price for sin. So we come to Jesus. How do we get in his fold? Is it by being good? <laughs> the sheep comes up and the sheep says, Hey, look at me, shepherd. I've been really good this week. I've not done anything really bad. The shepherd says, But you're not my sheep. You're with that shepherd over there. The only way, the only way you're going to get into that shepherd's fold is. Is through the door and guess who the door is? It's Jesus. Sheep will not follow a stranger. One of the tactics of the false teacher is to become familiar. They'll say something or you'll read something and at first you know there's something off about that. Something just doesn't ring true about what I'm reading but they have this innate way of getting their message blasted in so many uh, many different ways. They may put it on this Facebook ad, or they may put it on this this, 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 this thing over here, or they may have something on, on, the, uh, on the radio, or, or they may have printed material constantly getting that message out. And you know, incredibly, after a while, after a while, that message starts to resonate. And you know what? I, 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 I didn't know what was wrong with it. I had these funny feelings, but they were just feelings, after all. I don't really see anything really bad about that's the way the false teachers find converts false teachers are resisted initially but they gain traction by their persistent presence in multiple venues like podcasts books conferences etc verse number six says this parable spake Jesus unto them but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them it's interesting this word parable this translated parable is a different word than what we see Jesus talking about parables When Jesus used parables, he did so in teaching a heavenly truth. Now, this is a different word, parable, and this is simply meaning an allegory. Jesus taught them, but they failed to understand. He gave them this allegory to explain a truth, but but they didn't get it. They they failed to understand. They understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Verse number 7 says, Then said Jesus unto them again. They're not getting it. Come on, folks, listen up, he said. Listen up. Let me try this again. Let me hit this from a different angle, he says. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, these folks understood sheep. They were in a a sheep culture. They understood all about sheep. They They were around sheep every day. They knew the life of a shepherd. They knew how sheep responded. So Jesus is talking their language here, much more than ours. They understood this, but they still weren't getting it. He began to explain what he meant in his teaching. He told them that he was the door that gave access and security for the sheep. Those sheep had to come through him in order to find their security. They would not grasp his meaning just yet, but the foundation was being laid that Jesus was the door and access to his fold was through him. Jesus is the way through which sinners, or sheep, can come for salvation. Once saved, they come and go, or grow through their life experiences, all under his loving, watchful eyes as shepherd. Now, I have not told you one thing, I don't think, that you don't already know. We all know this. This is truth that is so ultra-familiar, I hesitate even sharing with you. But there's a reason for it. Verse number 8, Jesus said, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. There have been many claiming to be the way to the heavenly fold, some even claiming to be the Messiah. Their voices had mostly fallen on deaf ears as their motives were to rob and steal. The, the Bible mentions a couple of these. One of them is Thudius or um, T-H-E-U-D-A-S. Another one is Judas the Galilean, who had claimed greatness. There were also three shepherds mentioned, who had been cut off in one month. They had all attempted to steal the sheep and caused them to be led astray. In Acts 5, verse 36, For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. In other words, every time one of these false teachers began spreading their garbage, they had some people that their message would resonate with them. And they began following them. One had 400 following him. Now, you know what they did not have back in that day? They did not have... The social media presence. He had 400 followers back then. You imagine getting on Facebook or some, some social outlet and today 50,000 followers just like that. 100,000 followers just by that. These men had followers just like false teachers have followers today. It's just the media is different. Verse number nine. Again, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So, what has Jesus told us new here? Nothing. He repeated himself. I am the door. The way to find pasture, the way to find eternal security, the way to go to heaven is through me, Jesus said. Salvation is coming, by coming in or through the door. The thought is more than just passing through to reach the fold. It seems to include finding the fold Notice, in the door. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. He's both in one. In order to get into the fold, you got to go through the gate, to the door. Who's the door? Jesus. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. Well, Jesus is the door. Right? How do you get in? Through Jesus, and then you are in Jesus. Boy, who do you suppose the main character here is? It's all about Jesus, putting our faith and trust in Jesus, finding our eternal security in Jesus. Our salvation allows us here, it says, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Being saved allows us to go into the world, to go in and out, find pasture, or all that we need to survive in this life, all while staying in close proximity to his fold. As we come and go, we do so listening to the directives and commands of the good shepherd. Verse 10. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill. Did you notice the intention, the motivation of the thief? Is to destroy and to kill. Do you think for a second that thief is going to take those sheep and keep them as pets? Oh, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to call this one... Uh, Susie, I'm going to call this one Jill, and here's, here's Henry over here, and I'm going to be kind to them, and I'm going to talk to them, and we're going to have this wonderful life together. Do you really think that? He can't wait to take them to market, have them butchered. He's come to destroy them. The motives of the thieves are selfish and destructive they want to steal sheep away ultimately these thieves are doing the bidding of their destroyer the devil he like a roaring lion is always seeking whom he may devour there are institutions that I believe were spawned by and now used by the devil and much of their message is that of a false prophet Now, understand me clearly when I say this. There are people in other denominations who are following some very bad doctrine. That does not make them bad people. I've got some very dear, dear friends who are in these other denominations. They're great people. They're wonderful people. But they're following a demonic false teacher. I'm so careful when I, when I say this, because you're going to go out and say, Pastor's slamming on certain denominations. and I don't mean to slam on anything. I want to slam on what God says is a false prophet. From the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the second edition, it says, item number 2016. The children of our Holy Mother, the church, rightly hope for the grace of final perseverance and recompense of God their Father for the good works accomplished with His grace in communion with Jesus. I read it fast. I had to read it three or four ten times. But according to this catechism, they are hoping for what they call here a final perseverance. For their good works accomplished. Only after their works are accounted will they know if they have somehow made it to heaven. So they're going through life, they're having their good works mounting up for them. Only when they get to heaven will they have the accounting, did I make it or not? How will I know? Only when you get to heaven and your good works will be accounted. They're hoping for this final perseverance for the good works accomplished. Only after their works are accounted will they know if they have made it to heaven also. Item number 2017, the grace of the Holy Spirit confers upon us the righteousness of God. It says, uniting us by faith, good, and baptism to the passion and resurrection of Christ, the Spirit makes us sharers in His life. A little fuzzy, a little fuzzy, so so I read another one here, number 2020. Justification, we know all about that having myself, myself being declared righteous before God. That's justification. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ. I will say amen to that. But they say it is granted us through baptism. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who justifies us. It has for its goal the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. It is the most excellent work of God's mercy. The righteousness of God, or becoming justified here, they say, is by faith and baptism. And baptism is a work. Every time somebody comes to me and they've been saved and want to get baptized, we go through great lengths to help them understand. Baptism is not tied to salvation. Baptism is a public declaration after I've been saved. Showing what's happened on the inside. Here they're saying you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Another one, I've got closer ties to this one. And here it's so interesting because they're so close. So close. And just because I mention a particular denomination doesn't mean that every church in the denomination is just like this. And I'm careful to say that. I looked at some of the materials from the Church of Christ and they say according to the Bible this is I'm reading from them according to the Bible works of faith are necessary for salvation did you catch that look works of faith now we know that faith is necessary for salvation they say works of faith the first one I'll read you what they say faith is man's response I say yes we believe we trust with our hearts with our whole lives the one who loves us so hallelujah next this involves a decision of faith or repentance repentance means turning from sin to live for God one must repent and they give verses to back all this up here's the problem repentance the word means to turn and we understand from the context the completeness of Scripture That I cannot do anything to get saved. I simply turn from unbelief to belief. What is repentance? Is it me from turning from my sinful ways? Now I'm living a holy life. Hallelujah. Well, no. That means I did that. No. Repentance is my turning from sin to God. From unbelief to belief. Not from sin to sinless living. Because that would mean, look what I did to get saved. Now, you've got to be careful on this one. This is used a lot to trip people up. You've got to be careful. And yes, the Bible uses the word repentance a great deal. And apart from repentance, you can't be saved. So I'd say it's pretty important. We have to repent from going this direction to going this direction. We've got to see that we are guilty sinners. And that in ourselves, going this direction, we are lost. And the only hope we can have is to turn to Christ. That's not a work. For faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, sign God, not of works. You're saved by faith, not of works. Faith, not of works. Notice how it's not works faith is not a work here we must repent they said turning from sin to living for God we must be baptized they say there must also be a demonstration of faith what's that demonstration baptism baptism is not a work of merit or work of the law of Moses but an act of faith in obedience to the gospel of Christ so the, baptism is not a work, they say, it's simply an act of obedience. <laughs> They're simply turning the words around. They say you have to be baptized to go to heaven. In baptism, they say, we are united with Christ and added to his church with all the saved. One must be baptized. It's underlined, they said. But it's just the beginning of the new life. Now, it's interesting, they have a whole bunch of verses, but one of the verses they use to support baptismal regeneration That means, in order for me to be regenerated, in order for me to get saved, I must be baptized. It's found in Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So it must mean you have to be baptized to go to heaven, right? Well... This little phrase, for the remission of sins. It's an interesting word. That preposition for is so critical. For the remission of your sins. In this context, it means repent because your sins have been remitted. Be baptized. Why? Because your sins were already remitted when you got saved. Not be baptized to be saved but do so because of.' It's, it's interesting, in one time in Acts, the one that I quoted, repent is mentioned together with baptized, one time. But four times in Acts, repent is used by itself. For instance, Acts 3:19, "Repent ye therefore, and be converted, no baptized." So I'm reading the Bible, and all I see is this passage, Acts 3:19. Repent, ye, and therefore be converted. Oh boy, I need to get right with God. I'm repenting. I'm turning from unbelief to belief. I'm going to trust you, Lord, to save me. Do you think for a second God is going to say, "You can't be saved. You're not baptized yet." No. Why? Because baptism is a work that I do. Thirdly, here's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's surrounded by thieves one over here one over here and under deep conviction one of the thieves says master Lord this day remember me when thou art in paradise remember me when you're in heaven and Jesus said this day thou shalt be with me in paradise wait a minute Jesus I gotta get off the cross and be baptized no you don't no you don't baptism is an act of obedience a work of obedience following salvation. Baptism, b- believers, baptism is not part of salvation. It's an outward testimony after one is saved. Finally, reading their words, finally, it calls for a devotion of faith, which is a life of faith. Now remember, these are all the steps to be mis- being saved. You have to do all these things, all these works of faith to be saved. The last work of faith, we must strive to glorify God in all things, to keep his commandments. Trusting Him for salvation until Jesus returns. How do you get saved? They say the last thing here, you have to have a devotion of faith, which is a life of faith, that includes striving to glorify God, keeping His commandments, trusting Him for salvation. Who's doing the work? I am. There's no striving on our part to be saved. That would be a work. Jesus did all the striving when he died on the cross. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. You've got to understand. Again, I'm not talking about bad people. Some of the kindest, sweetest, God-fearing people I know are in both of these organizations I described. And you say, well, pastor, could be somebody be in these organizations and be saved? And I say, unequivocally, yes. Unequivocally, yes. We're not going to, when we stand before the Lord, he's not going to first say, well, what church did you go to? No. What did you do with my son? Are you coming in through the door? There's one way, that's through Jesus. By faith alone. Jesus alone. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus, as the good shepherd, laid down his life for his people. Here he calls himself the good shepherd. Good means full of virtue, integrity, and love. The word shepherd here comes from a Greek word translated pastor in the Latin. Pastor. Jesus pastors his sheep. He pastors them. In John 21:17, Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. That literally meant, with this word, literally meant pastor my sheep. In 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter challenged the elders of the church to feed the flock of God. Again, the meaning is to pastor the flock. Feed them. Care for them. Love them. Take them to the green pastures beside the still waters. This good shepherd would not only feed his flock, but he would lay down his life for them, something no other shepherd would begin considering. Verse 12 and 13, But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he's is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. Notice the comparison between the shepherd and his ranch hands. The hired hands. When tasked with the overnight care of the sheep, when the danger comes, the wolf comes, instead of defending to the death like the good shepherd who would lay down his life to protect those sheep, the hireling throws down his rod and he runs. You're on your own, sheep. <laughs> the result is the death and scattering of the flock. The hired hand does not have the same care for the flock as does the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep, and they know him. You see, we say, we say, there's one way to heaven, Master Jesus. And some say, well, that's too restrictive. And I say, how ridiculous! Think of who we're talking about here. Think of who we're talking about here. The door, the shepherd, is the one who loved us enough to die for us, the one who ever lives to make intercession, praying for us the one who has made eternity possible for us and is making it so exceptionally wonderful, why would I not want to go through him? The Bible says. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, he repeats, and know my sheep, and have known of mine, as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the good shepherd knows his sheep, and they know him. Similarly, the father knows the good shepherd, and the good shepherd knows the father. Out of that incredible relationship comes a willingness to lay his life down for his sheep. So so the good shepherd knows the father, and the father knows the good shepherd, and oh, what an incredible relationship they share. Out of that tight relationship comes a love for the sheep. Count yourself blessed if he's your shepherd, because he is sharing with you the love of His Father. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's incredible love. And that's the love that He has for all. Verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He's talking here about sheep that are not of Israel. Non Jews. I've got other sheep. Not just the sheep that I call my own Jews, but other sheep, Gentiles. And hallelujah for that. That's you and me. Unless you're a Jew, that's us. We who are non Jews, He's made provision for us. He is our good shepherd. Not just the shepherd of the saved Jews, but the shepherd of the saved Gentiles as well. He's our door. We come through salvation through Him, the very same way He came to the Jew first. Jesus' other sheep are those not of Israel, prophesied throughout the Bible is God's plan to redeem those Gentiles as well as Jews. In Ephesians 2, verse 12 and following, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, Who hath made both Jew and Gentile once saved. He's made them now one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. We don't have to become Jew to be saved. We have to become in Christ to be saved. Verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down for myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Lastly, the good shepherd came for the express purpose of giving his life for his sheep. He here describes his power, authority, to both give his life and to take it back again. To give his life, to lay himself down, giving it willingly for the sins of mankind, and to take it back again three days later. It's interesting, the Bible says that both Jesus and his Father were involved in the resurrection. Romans 10 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Father was involved in the resurrection. But in John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, we're talking about himself, and in three days I will rise up. Why? Because he's God. Jesus is God. We have a good shepherd. We have a door. There is one way into the sheepfold of Jesus. Only one. For centuries men have tried to sneak in and steal. There's only one. Only one. And that message of only one is offensive to the world. Oh, there's many ways to heaven. God is all-loving. He wouldn't send me to hell. No, he won't, but you will. You will by rejecting what Jesus did for you on the cross. There's one way. And it's not you and how good you are. In John chapter 3, it's amazing how Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. And Jesus used to Nicodemus an illustration he was very familiar with. He takes them back when the Jews were in the wilderness. And oh, they were murmuring, and God got so put up with it, he sent poisonous snakes, and they started biting these people, and oh, they were dying. All these poisonous snakes, killing so many. And Moses pled with God, and oh God, save us. And God says, here, what I want you to do. I want you to take and I want you to form out of some, some brass a snake. And I want you to attach that curled snake on the end of a rod. He did that. you not like a brass snake on the end of a rod. Now I want you to hold it up in the middle of the congregation. And anytime one of our people gets bit by a poisonous snake, all they have to do is look at the snake and they'll be healed. All they have to do is look at the snake and they'll be healed. So one fella comes to Moses. Moses, look at these bite marks. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die, Moses. What do I do? And Moses said, Look at the snake. Oh, but Moses, I'm a good person. Oh, but Moses, I don't break the commandments. Moses, I'm so faithful in church. You know how good a person I am. Oh, and he dies. Next person's coming running into Moses. Moses got bit. Look, what do I do? Look at the snake. Okay. okay. I'm healed. He didn't bother to ask how good a person he was because it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do <laughs> with the snake. snake, with what Jesus did on the cross. about you? I am so convinced it's not long before the Lord's gonna return. (laughs) For you and for me, (laughs) if you're saved, you're gonna be with Jesus. If you're not saved, meaning if you're not in the fold, Meaning, if you did not come into the fold by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, not you, your faith, and good works, but you alone. Saying, I'm worthless, you're the solution, I'm trusting you. If you've not done that, then you're outside the fold. And all those outside of the fold, after the rapture, are going to be entered into, like we discussed in growth group this morning, are going to be entered into this horrible time called the tribulation, but that's not the half of it. Anyone not trusting Christ, after suffering the perils of the tribulation, are then going to go to hell and burn forever and ever and ever, separated from God. All because they refused to come into his fold by trusting him for salvation. You've probably seen it by now, and I laughed, I doubled over, just laughed the first time I saw it. But floating around the internet someplace is this video. <clears throat> this video of, of this long ditch. And in this ditch is what looks like a full-size sheep. He's caught in the ditch, can't get out. And this guy comes along and he's working, working, working and working and working to get this, this sheep, dumb sheep, out of this ditch. Works and works and works. Finally, pop he gets the sheep out and puts him down here. It's almost like the sheep waves at him and says, Thank you! And You see the sheep, hop, 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 about four or five hops, and he jumps back in the ditch. Right back where he was. And the video stops. We, like sheep, have gone astray. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And that's why Jesus came and he taught this amazing allegory. And he says, here's here's the deal, folks. He said, I've got, I've got this fold, and this fold will be a place that I will be the shepherd forever and ever and ever. It's a wonderful place called heaven. It's glorious. I can't begin to explain it to you now. it take too long, he says, but, but it's glorious. But there's only one way into the fold, and that's through the door. And I'm the door. But I'm also the good shepherd. And to be in the fold means you have to be in me. Are you in Christ today? Have you come to Jesus Christ, confess that you're a sinner, and by faith trust in Him and Him alone to save you? Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for your sacrificial death on the cross. Thank you for your love. And thank you for offering to us a free gift of salvation And thank you for reminding us today that that gift of salvation is offered to us by faith and faith alone, not good works. So Holy Spirit of God, we're dealing with such an important doctrine today. I pray that you might give each person here in this audience clarity, spiritual discernment, helping them to understand whether or not they truly are saved. Or what are they trusting? Are they trusting your finished work on Calvary or are they trusting somehow their good works? I pray, Lord, that you might bring a spirit of convincement this morning. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I've got to ask the question. Nobody's looking around. Do you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there's been a time in your life where you came to Jesus, you confessed that you were a sinner, And by faith, you trusted him to forgive your sins and to save you and to take you to heaven. Have you been saved? If not, he makes it so simple, you could be saved today. Is there anyone here this morning? Oh, I would never embarrass you, but is there anyone here this morning who say, Pastor, pray for me, I just don't know. Pray for me, I don't know for sure if I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know, please pray for me. Anyone like that? Put that hand up so I can see it and back down. Pastor, pray for me. I want to know, but I don't know. Please pray. All right, what about all of us this morning who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Has there been a voice of a prophet out there that is starting to capture your attention? Oh, you know initially there was something off about it, but you just... You were just drawn into it. Would you this morning make a commitment? A commitment to listen to only that which is true. Only that which lines up exclusively with the Word of God. And commit to God that you will, by His grace, not be drawn in by some personality into a false prophet's teaching. And then, lastly, if you're saved you should have a burden to see others saved as well. You should have the same heart that Jesus has. So would you ask Him for that heart? Ask Him to open your eyes to the lost around you and to be willing to boldly share with them His love for them. Dear Lord, I thank You so much for this time. I thank You for what You're doing in our hearts and lives, and I pray that You might continue it. Lord, and we thank You for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.